Welcome back to the Raider Report podcast, everybody. This is episode number eight. I'm your host, Nick Benvenuto. I'm joined by Dylan Collison from The Guardian as well. Hello. And we have a special guest with us this week, Mr. Tanner Root. Hello, everyone. Tanner, how are you doing this week, man? I'm doing good. How are you guys? Doing wonderful. Yeah, well. So, Tanner, do you want to go ahead and give us a little bit of your background? Talk about you know your affiliations with Wright State and what you do for a living. Yeah, uh, my name is Tanner Roop. I'm a Wright State alum. I graduated in December of 2017 with an organizational leadership degree. Uh, I've been a DJ for the past seven years and doing music production for the past two. I've been doing event coordination, doing traveling DJing for like weddings, parties, uh, clubs and events and stuff like that. Uh, I've done artist support for touring artists, contests. I've won um, DJ contests and I played at a few music festivals locally in Ohio too. That's awesome. Well, what kind of music do you produce? Um, I do mainly electronic dance music, like underground, underground dance music. Uh, it's called dubstep. And can you talk to us a little bit about like what dubstep is? Um, how many different types of, you know, genres do you play in a set? What's it like being a DJ? Talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, uh, DJing is different. It depends on kind of the event, definitely on what you're playing and what, you know, the crowd wants and stuff. But uh, as far as like me playing my dubstep music, it's the genre of EDM. It's pretty heavy metal based, a lot of distorted basses, loud arrangements and stuff has very high energy. But um, I played all types of music, everything from 80s, 90s, all the way up to the top 40s stuff. Um, a lot of it comes from just reading crowds and kind of knowing what they want to listen to and playing music for them. How difficult is that to do? Like when you're up, when you're up on stage in front of a crowd and you get up there and like you said, you're trying to read the crowd. So do you just do you have like um, like a set pre-made that you go in with or are you like you said, you're just kind of like feeding off of the crowd. You're going to play a couple songs see how they're vibing, see how they're dancing and moving around. And then you kind of go from there. What's that like? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It, it kind of takes a lot of experience and reading kind of like uh, just different age groups based upon like what music they like, kind of read their energies, reacting on the dance floor and stuff. Um, and you just stick to what you know. Um, a lot of times, you know, your favorite music is probably their favorite music too. So if you hit, you know, the right genre or the right style of music that gets them going, you just keep playing more. That's awesome. Where did the passion stem from? Have you always been involved in making music? Like, where did you get your start from? So starting out, it was more just me in high school, like making beats and just experimenting with music just in my free time until I eventually came in contact with a local DJ business. And they kind of like showed me all the ropes as far as, you know, how to make mm -hmm. songs, how to put, you know, your music playlists and stuff together and kind of curate like uh, files, folders for different events and stuff. Um, they taught me how to use the equipment, set it up, tear it down, and mm -hmm. just basically how to be a professional DJ and use yourself um, to build a brand and to do these parties and events and stuff. Um, that translated me into traveling and doing the events and weddings, parties, and 
clubs and whatnot. And then I started my own brand. Uh, and that's when I started doing like more EDM related stuff because I really found myself mm-hmm. liking like the club scenes and that kind of mm-hmm. energy. And uh, that's that's when I started liking an EDM. I found some friends that were into it. And collectively, we just started hosting events and throwing shows. And that was more at a local basis. And it started growing into playing regionally. And that kept gaining traction. Now I'm playing music festivals and for other artists and stuff. And it's just been a cool experience. How would you describe your brand? So that was a huge, huge thing. So I've went through a lot of transitions because I started out playing like a lot of hip hop music and stuff for the clubs. And it was pretty corny, but I went by DJ All Star for a while, which was pretty generic and it really didn't fit me. But then I realized people that wanted to come see me play, they're more interested in just like me being a friend playing music for them and having a good time. So I went back to just using my own name as Tanner Root because if somebody saw that on a flyer to me that, you know, it, they know who's going to be there. It's me. And then yeah. I started just building the music to kind of fit, you know, the energy that I wanted to play. And then I started doing my own graphics and stuff and uh, basically just building a social media presence around the type of music mm-hmm. I wanted to play and the graphics I wanted associated with my brand and stuff like that. That kind of stuff is my bread and butter. So, um, but you know, the perfect brand for yourself is you. So I think it was an excellent choice. Yeah, and I've I've gotten a lot of reviews because I always was not very sure at first if that was the best interest because a lot of other DJs in my industry pick, you know, obscure names, something that you can attach something to or um, like different animals and stuff like that. But for me, it was just more of like, yeah, just attaching to myself and it being an expression of me. And that's just what I wanted to push out. And it's it's been working really well for me. Yeah, one of the examples that I thought of as soon as you were talking about, you know, different animals and kind of like obscure names, the first one that came to my mind was Wooly, which for those of you who don't know, um, he's another like dubstep DJ that's in the same line of work as Tanner, and he spells his name W-O-O-L-I, and then his logo and everything is a big Wooly mammoth. So his name goes along with the image, and then it also kind of goes along with like the big heavy sounds that he's making. Um, so Tanner, can you talk to us a little bit about like what images you use in your brand, um, some of the animations that you use when you're up on stage and stuff like that? Yeah, um, it's actually pretty cool to see like when you put the music and the visual element together and that's when you really like make a performance and stuff. And that's when it's really uh, an expression of that artist. And for me, I usually once a year, I'll sit down and try to make my own visual kits for kind of like where I'd like to take my brand that year, like as far as images and like sound and whatnot. And at first it was a lot of like space aliens uh, and pizza was kind of my thing just because the noises were all <laughs> very sci-fi sounding and whatnot. And, and everybody loves pizza and it was always a good time. So, you know, I'd have a little spaceship flying in and a space background and it'd flash a little tractor beam that was a pizza and I'd have that going in the background sometimes or, you know, just just different little things that kind of just enhance like the scenery as you're listening to the music. And that's what it sounded like. And then uh, just later on, I've been getting a lot heavier with my sound and just developing like a wheelhouse of like a lot heavier energy music. And it kind of turned into like this pizza slayer thing. So I worked with a, a, a buddy of ours who's a tattoo artist, uh, Sean Allen. You can check his work out. He does amazing work. But he drew me up a design and it was a dagger going through a slice of pizza. And at that time, I was making the music and stuff for Pizza Slayer, and it just all came together as like a huge branding moment for me that everybody just knows, like, if you see me, it's a good time, it's pizza, and 
I've taken off with the Pizza Slayer brand lately. Yeah, that's really, really cool, man. I think it's cool when you can, you know, also involve your friends in things that you're, you know, passionate about as well. Like you said, um, our friend Sean Allen um, does amazing work. So when you're looking for, you know, as a music artist, when you're looking for illustrations and you're looking for things that you can include in your work on the music side of things, um, I think it's really cool that you were able to implement you know, somebody else who's really close to you, their work as well, and something that they're passionate about. And it all comes together in like this, you know, collective effort. I think that that was really, really cool. Yeah. And that's basically what fits your brand. Like his style of art kind of really like matched what I thought my music I was making was. And that's just kind of like the the artistry standpoint of it. There's no, like you get to just pick the direction you want to take kind of your work and just kind of go with it. It's really cool. When you were first starting out, like you said, you get to, um, you know, kind of pick the direction that your that your work goes. When you were first starting out, did you ever feel pressured to maybe do what seemed hip opposed to what, you know, you actually wanted to do? Or have you ever had that challenge? Um, I, yes, in a way. Um, it's like, you know what sounds good and you have to practice on the way of making all these sounds. And then finally you get to a point where you're like your music sounds good enough and you want to compare it to other people. And you're always so critical of yourself. And eventually for me, I had to get over a hump of like, you just have to put your music out and see what people, you know, how they react mm-hmm. to it. And, um, just ever since me putting out music, I, I've kind of just been grasping more of this thing of like, you're an artist. It's more of like a creative art form and you shouldn't really be comparing yourself to other people and stuff. And, and that's just been working really well. Where did you learn how to, to do all of this stuff? Did you, are you self-taught like as far as making images and making these illustrations and stuff? Did you learn any of that when you were here at Wright State? Did you have any classes that taught you that? Or did you, is that all self-taught? So as far as the music and stuff, um, as far as like the programs and whatnot, it's pretty much been self-taught. YouTube is honestly the best thing ever for learning anything these days. So a lot of knowledge was gained from there. Um, mm-hmm. As far as like a history of music knowledge, because I appreciate music so much that I, I took like extracurriculars in like music, uh, cultural classes and appreciation classes at Wright State. And those just helped me like identify different like rhythms and like just vocabulary and just familiarize myself musically because I'm not classically trained by any means. Most mm-hmm. of this is just trial and error and, you know, what sounds good and just going with the flow most times. But then um, one of the biggest, I feel like proponents to like me as a DJ that makes me stand out is part of the branding and stuff that I do, which was a big class I took. It was like social media management. And there was another class I took from Wright State about branding. And both of those, um, most people like just they, their projects were like, oh, you could create your own business or if you have one, you could do this. And I wasn't sure if I wanted to do it about my DJ stuff because I usually kept like my DJing stuff separate from school and whatnot. But he's uh, my professor, you know, said, go ahead and do it. And I ended up, you know, going through the processes of school and at the same time applying it to my DJ stuff. And it was just really making sense about making social media strategies, keeping the same brand across different social medias and stuff like that. So I'd say Wright State in its own way had a big effect in like my professionalism online as far as like my DJ skills and whatnot, as far as branding and stuff. Dylan, with your background and everything that you do for The Guardian, as far as, you know, um, making illustrations. And I, I've seen a lot of the work that you do online and social media presence as well. Have you had some of these similar classes and learned these things as well? Yeah. So um, I'm not sure if the ones you're talking about exactly are through the either communication or, or, or business departments, but I do know that um, a right state, especially uh, if you're like a media studies major, 
like myself, we go through a lot of um, kind of rigorous courses talking about um, like one self-branding as things first is always most prominent um, of yourself. Um, I think would especially um, benefit Tanner by also uh, we talk about, you know, social media management, what does well when it comes to like uh, PR, um, when it comes to social media, stuff like that. So um, at the G, I, I spend a good amount of time when it comes to branding, making sure that, you know, we're all consistent across making sure our mission is um, and our goals are um, represented. So, but, so I can definitely mm-hmm. emphasize when it comes to making sure that everything looks consistent, everything um, is you know, uniform, stuff like that. So but <clears throat> Tanner, what I would ask is, um, what are some um, ways that Wright State benefited you, separate from like your educational, your um, academics? Uh, big things that I took probably from the social media class were just how to like understand Facebook algorithms, like posting mm-hmm. times, how to know your audience on when to post and stuff. Because we got certified in like Facebook Blueprint, um, how to run ads and stuff. Same with Twitter. Mm-hmm. Twitter has a flight school that we did, and uh, we used Hootsuite for a while, which I still use every now and then for certain campaigns, but a little bit lighter now with my scheduling and stuff the way it is. But it just helps manage social media a lot more and keep it consistent across, and just every little bit like that helps big time when you're trying to keep a consistent brand across all your board, especially when you're trying to stand out amongst all these DJs that are up and coming and the pool of everybody. Uh, one of the things that I wanted to ask you as well, Tanner, kind of talking about, you know, social media um, and s- staying interacted with your fans and all of that. What is the community like in the, you know, not only like EDM world, electronic dance music, but, you know, in the, in the subgenre of dubstep, you know, which you kind of specialize in um, when you're when you're sitting down and you're on these social medias. What's it like talking to the people that have been into, um, you know, the industry performing shows um, that are kind of like your, your seniors, people that have been around longer than you, are you able to like reach out to them? Um, is the community responsive in that way? Yeah, I think the community on both sides, like the artists and then like the receptive audience are both like frequently active all the time, giving you feedback and always wanting more content and stuff like that. And you can find a lot of like mentorship programs and, you know, just friends that you make in the music industry that help you tremendously. Um, I've been able to talk to some of the bigger artists just through my networking of, you know, playing the bigger shows and being on support for them and uh, just developing just more so a friendship than even a music relationship where you could just share music with them and they give you feedback and stuff. It's it's a really awesome tight knit community because the guys at the top want to see the genre, you know, go on and keep growing and gain more traction, more like uh, mainstream attention. So they're really pushing for these under guys to just keep you know pushing the knowledge and trying new things and experimenting with new stuff so it's really cool to see him like reach down to guys like me and like actually care and get on a you know a little voice chat or whatever it is and share projects and just give tips and stuff it's a it's a really awesome community to be a part of just because it's just so helping and rewarding and everybody's there for each other it's pretty awesome yeah, that's really cool, man. Especially when, you know, these are a lot of these guys that you're communicating with or have probably been, you know, your idols and people that you're looking up to. Um, so getting to the point to where you're at now to where you're able to, you know, reach out to them, maybe in the DMs or something and say, hey, this is something I'm working on. You know, you know, what do you think of this? Or maybe even branding questions and stuff like that. Have you done stuff like that? Oh, yeah, it, it's pretty crazy. I've I've been submitting more so on like record labels and stuff and trying stuff out. So you do like reach out to these people directly for like demo submissions and stuff and they give you feedback. And it's it's 
it's nerve wracking, you know, to send it because you never know what they're going to say, but it's even more rewarding and cool afterwards when they actually give you the feedback and like you get to find the processes out of how to like, you know, grow as an artist and then they're willing to help you out, like show you better labels that would fit your brand or like teach you what you need to know to get like on labels and stuff. It's been really cool. Yeah. And another thing I wanted to talk to you about as well is the difference between being up on stage and being in the crowd. Um, I think that that's a really cool way to look at the, the 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 line of work that you're in because I know for a fact, you know, being your friend for these for a number of years, I've seen you in both. I've seen you up on stage, you know, doing your thing, killing it in front of you know a crowd of a couple thousand people, and then I've also seen the joy that you get um, from being in the crowd and watching, you know, your peers. Um, which obviously, I think I know which you're going to lean towards, but talk to us a little bit about what you like on both sides of it, you know, being in the crowd versus being up on stage. What's that like for you um, as an artist? Yeah, uh, it's, it's really cool. Cause like, you know, you start out going to these shows and you see like your inspirations, you know, playing and like setting these scenes and putting the visuals together and doing it all. And it kind of captivates you in a way. And that like is what really inspires you to turn it around and be the one that wants to create it. Like everybody wants to do it, but there's a certain amount of work that goes into it to like put it all together. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, it's super rewarding to like be in the crowd and watch someone else like develop their work and see what they do. But it's also a really awesome experience, like putting on all this work and like building your music up, building a following, having people come out and then being the one on stage, you know, that controls the energy that controls the crowd. Like you put up the visuals to basically create this experience for everybody in your time. And it's, it's really cool. It's like, it's, it's, it's a cool experience both ways. I'd say. Do you have any shows or, or experiences like that, that stick out? Like what, what's your most favorite on stage moment that you've had thus far? Uh, I've had a few different favorites for sure. I'd probably say my, my most favorite was haunted fest up in Columbus, which is a big college music festival right around Halloween time. I had won a DJ contest to play uh, in front of like Porter Robinson, Alan Walker, grave digger, uh, just some just some huge EDM names. And uh, it was cool seeing like such a s- huge stage production get put together with these massive screens, lights and all that. And just the crew working behind the scenes, giving you the go to like get up on stage and whatnot. And then there's the moment that, like that you finally peer up above like your DJ board and you look out into the crowd. And it was probably half capacity because I was like opening artists, but it was still 7000 people. And it's just like so much goes through your head at once that you're just about to take take command of like all these people in the room and just the music. It's, it's wild, man. It's crazy. 7,000 is a lot. I think it is probably the most I've ever played for. And it was unreal. It was unreal. Does the, does the nervousness ever go away? I imagine that like, if I were to try to do what you do, even if I were in front of like 10 people, I think that I would be nervous. Um, You know, even if you do it like a thousand times, is that, is there still that little bit of nervousness, nervousness that you get going into every show Or have you kind of reached the point to where, you know, you're like, okay, this is what I'm doing. This is who I am. Like, I'm here now. Yeah, I'd say the nerves are always still there. I mean, you're a performer. I feel like at no point are you just 100% not nervous performing, I feel like. But it's definitely gotten better over the years. I used to have like hurdles of, you know, not knowing equipment, having to, you know, just get comfortable, you know, DJing in front of these larger crowds and whatnot. And over time, it has gotten way easier where, you know, you just get these little pre-rituals where you just focus in right before a set and whatnot, and then you just you just go and do it. And that's just been kind of one of my things because I've, I've never really been, like, 
a shy person of a microphone or anything of that, but it's, it's different getting in front of a lot of people and actually being the one in control of like everything. It all falls down to you, but more so now it's just, I, I kind of know what I'm doing. I know I set myself up really well to perform and instead of just, you know, diving into the board and just focusing in on all the music, I try to focus in on the experience in general. And I feel like that's helped me a lot and de-stress the situation so I can actually give a good performance and experience for everybody and not be nervous. I think with all of the preparation and everything that you talked about, I think I would still be nervous, man. I don't know how, I honestly don't know how you do what you do. I, it, it would, uh, I think it would send me into like a minor heart attack (laughs) to see all those people and just know that, you know, the, the music you're about to play and everything that you're doing is, is a very large portion of their night. Um, especially when you're talking about the festivals and stuff, you know, you all, you you do have the music going on and you have the stage and the production and everything going on, but there is also, um, an atmosphere that's going on within the building or within the festival grounds as well. Um, and being the, being the DJ and the person that's controlling, you know, the music and the visuals and everything, you are that, you are the conductor of that night, at least for that 45 minutes, 30 minutes, hour, you know, anything that's going on. So I think it's really, really cool that you're able to get up there and do it. And, uh, you know, I admire you for it because I, I don't know how you do it, man. I really don't. Yeah, dude, it's a really motivating experience. Like it's you get up there and you do it and you just get a feeling like no other. And you're just like, man, you got to go back for another taste. See, so you, you know, you hop in the studio, you start working on music, you plot out, you know, when's the next best place to play. And then you hit the lineup, you promote it and you just keep executing and just building. And, and that's whole the process. And it's, it's, it's super rewarding, it's super rewarding. I would almost argue that it'd be more stressful to perform in front of seven people versus 7,000 people. Yeah, I've been there on both sides of it. Sometimes you play to an empty room. Other times you're playing for a lot. Um, it can be, you know, just as stressful both ways for sure. You know, because you got all eyes on you if it's all seven people, you know, still all eyes on you if it's 7,000. <laughs> that is a really good way to look at it though, Dylan. I didn't even think about that because you would think if you if you do... Like kind of like you said, Tanner, you got seven people in the room. Now you know for sure that all seven people are focused on you. Whereas if you're in the, you know, the crowd of seven thousand, you might have some people that are having off conversations or whatever. Um, I think there would be up up and downs to both for sure. You also see like everyone's faces. Like the seven people versus <laughs> people, like they're in the dark, probably, or you know, not really seeing exactly their face. So I don't know. Exactly. Yeah, no, it's, it's different. Like sometimes I'll take those moments when I know I'm playing to a smaller crowd. And like, even though I have something kind of prepared for the night, I'll just kind of go off and do something a little bit different to kind of just flex some creativity, knowing that, you know, it doesn't have to be perfect because it's not in front, you know, I'm not getting judged by so many people. And sometimes that'll pay off to me doing something completely, you know, a little off the wall different than what I had planned. And then people come up, you know, those seven people, it may have had a greater impact, you know, than 7,000 people that, you know, something kind of misses on. So, I mean, they each, they each have, you know, their, their part. I've played them both. What advice would you give like a right state student who's trying to go and, you know, get in the, the performing like business? In performing, I would say the best thing to do is just find other like-minded people that, you know, want to do the same thing you want to do. Cause that's kind of how I got into it is you really don't know how to do it all yourself. And sometimes it takes, you know, just a few other people to put it all together. Um, you know, not everybody's a DJ, but maybe one of your friends is really good at lights or something else. And then, you know, together you could put something for a performance, you know, small scale and just build your way up is the best way to go about it. And just, you know, networking is probably one of the biggest things in the music 
industry outside of the music itself. So I'd say just, you know, finding your network and working from there. Yeah, I think networking is is a big key, you know, here at Wright State, um, something that I've been able to pick up on as well. Um, just in your adult life in general, I think it's one of the things that goes untaught, you know, when we're in our adole- adolescent years and in our youth and um, going through high school and stuff. At least for me, I was never really taught. Sometimes it's not what you know, it's who you know. Um, and networking is huge. You know, being able to reach out to your friends, like you said, somebody that might be able to complement your skills with their own skills. And then you guys can collaboratively work together and help each other achieve, um, you know, a common goal. I think that that's really, really cool. Uh, one of the, one of the other things I wanted to ask you about Tanner was the coronavirus. Um, you know, I wrote an article a couple weeks back on the live event industry and, you know, just the staggering numbers of people that have been out of work from, you know, people working in lights to live performers such as yourself. Um, Talk to us a little bit about what it's been like um, trying to pursue your passions and your dreams and the things that you love to do while kind of being held back. It's it's been rough on really just every industry and the music industry, especially was one of the first ones to go out just because no large gatherings or small gatherings, you know, whatsoever. So live music just kind of halted and it still really hasn't came back to even half of its full effect of what it was, at least in my industry. But it's 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 been different. Um, a lot of artists, especially from what I've seen, have transitioned um, into doing a lot more virtual and digital stuff. You see a lot more of the drive in movies and stuff pop it, or the drive in experiences popping up. Um, a lot of artists have taken time off to just focus in on their music and stuff versus their live performances, which has been really cool. A lot of new music has popped up since the virus. Um it's it's been a little bit more tough to connect with audiences for sure but as far as an online presence you just have to maintain you know a social media presence as far as you know making content posting you know your music and stuff that you've been working on cuz people want to see you grow during this time in what ways have you been able to keep in contact with your support system and your fans um you know during the coronavirus and everything that's been going on that that would keep you away from seeing them physically yeah, I've upped the social media presence kind of quite of a bit, more so on Instagram, just posting more on stories, trying to be more interactive with the fans and stuff, you know, peeping new music that I would be playing at shows and stuff just to kind of still keep the hype around all the music I've been making lately. And um, just focusing in on just, you know, having more conversations with just the fan base and just just keep connecting with them any way possible. Have you been able to play any shows recently or when is the last time that you were actually able to to get up on stage? Um, since the virus, we started out doing virtual shows, which was kind of a cool experience. Uh, my team kind of got together and uh, we learned the green screening technology, the streaming technology and kind of put all that together. And we're able to incorporate our visuals and stuff as w- we would performing live. And we're, we could play music to a digital audience, which was really cool for a while. And then things started dwindling down as far as audience size on that. So you kind of had to start looking at these other venues. And we have tried to play some limited capacity shows with all the guidelines in place and whatnot. And they've they've done pretty well, but it's still not to the same effect as having, you know, like a full crowd or full room of people with that kind of energy. How does that affect you as a performer? You know, if, if you're doing a limited capacity show and you can kind of feel that the energy is just not the same, does it, um, are you able to kind of feed on that in a positive way or or does it kind of bum you out a little bit when you're up on stage? Uh, it's, it's kind of a cool experience. It's more intimate for sure, just because the people that are there are the people that want to be there. They're 
active in the community. You know, they support you as an artist. They're the ones, you know, sharing your music and stuff. Um, and it's, it's kind of cool just to play for that scenario because everybody, you know, everybody has been locked up. They haven't been doing a whole lot. So the people that are there, they do go crazy. So the energy is still kind of there. You could just tell it's just, it's not the same as it was before. Yeah. And I've actually been to one of the, um, like you said, like drive-in concerts. I went to one, it was not an EDM or dubstep show, but I went to go see, um, Aaron Lewis from Stained and Sully, the lead singer, um, from Godsmack. They did an acoustic set. Um, and it was really cool. You got to just pull your car up. You know, you, ha- you had your own little plot of land where, you know, four people that were allowed to be in your car stood and you didn't have to really worry about, um, you know, people bumping into you or, or anything like that. And I thought that it was a really a cool setup that, um, that I kind of honestly think should continue into, you know, any sort of normalcy that we get into, you know, post coronavirus, if we ever even get to that point, I don't know if that's ever going to be a thing. Um, but I thought that the idea of, you know, just being able to drive your car up, get out of the car and there's the stage, you know, right in front of you. I think that that's a really cool way to, um, to bring the music to people. Is this something that, that you think would be cool to keep around even after like a post coronavirus thing? Or do you want to just kind of get back to the normalcy of, you know, you have you, everybody parks their car out front, you go into the venue and you're doing things normally that way. I think the virus has definitely opened up that Avenue for a lot of different markets. Like, um, just the drive-ins and the, the distance things. I feel like it's, it's a very viable option. Like people may not want to go to a, you know, a crowded show. They want to be, you know, the drive-in style where they have the comfort of their car and whatnot. And I feel like it, it definitely could be here to stay as much as everybody wants their shows back. I feel like it may be a while for that. And it's just the next best thing that we have right now. Tanner, talk to me a little bit about, um, you know, what the future holds for you. Um, you know, any future dates coming up? Do you want to go ahead and maybe plug some social medias, you know, tell people where they can find you, where they can listen to the music that we've been talking about over the past half hour. If you're a dubstep fan, music fan, you can follow me on social media at Tanner Roop. I also got TannerRoop.com with my merch page on there in case you want to get geared up. Uh, shows have been coming back kind of slowly. We have a whole Halloween event in Columbus coming up. Uh, it's an outdoor patio heated event. So it's still social distance and whatnot, but it's a costume event. Um, and more shows, if you just follow the social media, they'll pop up on there as they come up. I'm really excited to see what you have in store, Tanner, hear the new music that you've probably been working on over this uh, this quarantine period ever since we've been you know, doing the coronavirus thing since March. I'm, I'm really looking forward to hearing the things that you've been working on, seeing some of the animations that you've got coming out. Um, I have one last question for you, Tanner. This is kind of something that we do. Um, here on the podcast, we kind of ask somebody, we ask everybody that come on a little silly question, but it gives us something to laugh and talk about. Um, do you drink coffee throughout the day, maybe in the morning, mid afternoon? And if you do drink coffee, how do you enjoy it? I do drink coffee um, all the time when you need that little giddy up. And I'm just a regular cream and sugar, sometimes iced coffee, I'm not too picky on it, but I do drink coffee all the time. Yeah. <laughs> all right, Tanner. Well, it's been great having you on. I've learned a lot about, you know, the way that you go about your business and the way that you've been able to carry on your passions and everything through the coronavirus. I hope everybody that was listening in enjoyed listening to an alumni coming on and talking about what the things that they've been doing um, ever since their time here at Wright State. Dylan, did you have anything that you wanted to add before we wrap this thing up? No. All right. Great having you on. Thank you guys for being here. Tanner, once again, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to be here and talk to us. Um, Dylan, oh, yeah. thank you for being here as well. We'll be back next week for another episode, episode nine. Um, And we will talk to you guys then. Thank you so much. Have a good day.
See ya.